Hello Union Baptist Church, we are back at it again. Can't wait till we can finally gather together in this place that's been dedicated for missions and ministry and gather in small groups and use our spiritual gifts to encourage one another, to challenge one another, and also to meet corporately in a worship service together as soldiers in the Bride of Christ and to worship and to be taught the Word of God together. But for right now, this is the venue that we have and we want to continue with it. And once again, I'm glad that you are with us. Um, continue to remember those within our own church and our own community who have moved in fast forward gear um, because of this virus and have been working extremely hard maybe to serve food or serve the community or serve people in the healthcare environment, but be in prayer for them. If you would take your copy of God's Word and look with me again as Peter goes through this letter that he writes to the church, churches scattered across the province there in modern day Turkey that we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And I want to throw out the title of today's message, Are You Strange? Now, don't look over at your spouse. They're already smiling. They're already going, I know, everyone is strange. And But I want you to look at it from a biblical standpoint, not necessarily from your idea of culture. And I want to go ahead and throw out to you the three um, points that we'll make throughout this message Number one, believers' militant attitude towards sin. Secondly, believers' conduct are looked upon as strange. And the third, um, believers' actions convict. The reason why they convict, because the lie of the world resides within. Believers' militant attitude towards sin. Believers' conduct are looked upon as strange and believers actions convict now are you strange and the answer is yes as believer as a follower of christ you are strange compared to the rest of the unbelieving world we are looked upon as strange and verse 1 of first peter chapter 4 it says therefore since christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, as we look at this message, are you strange, and begin to look at this first point, believers' militant attitude towards sin, when Peter says, arm yourselves, it's a military connotation. Just as a soldier would prepare for battle, so we as believers are to have the same courageous mindset for suffering. Suffering occurs to everyone in the world. And then specifically, there's suffering that occurs to believers. And this suffering can either make us become bitter or it can make us become stronger in the faith. And as of this suffering, Christ suffered for us for salvation, to bring salvation to us. And we suffer in order to share the gospel with other people, but also to grow closer to Christ. Now, these sufferings that we go through as believers is to purify us. It is to strip away those things that are not prior, top 
priority in our life, those things that have actually pulled us away from Christ. That could be the example. Not only is it to purify us, but also it is to refine us. It is to strengthen our walk in Christ, become more focused on Him, to have more resolve and being obedient to Him. When you came to Christ, you were to count the cost, to recognize that people were going to laugh at you. You were or are going to be ridiculed and that you're going to be ostracized. You're not going to please everyone. You're not going to make everyone happy. And in doing that, there's a, there's a throwback from unbelievers. And that throwback is that they look at us as strange and in that suffering aspect, we got to arm ourselves like a disciplined military soldier as one who's preparing for battle, that we're also preparing ourselves to suffer. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So since Christ suffered, we recognize that we're going to suffer maybe emotionally, maybe maybe physically, but in some sense, we're going to suffer as followers of Christ. The more we're in God's Word and want to live out God's Word, the more we develop biblical convictions. And those biblical convictions are going to be played out in the world. And they're not always going to be looked upon favorably by the unbelieving world. When we're obedient to God, we don't mind avoiding the hardships in order to grow closer to Christ. So believers are to have a military or a militant attitude towards them that whenever suffering does occur, it is focused on being obedient to Christ, not trying to fulfill sin. So we become more focused on Christ, less focused on sin. That's why as believers we have this militant attitude towards sin. We look at the second part of this. Are you strange? And this point kind of goes a little bit farther into that topic that believers' conduct are looked upon as strange. Verse 2 and verse 3 of 1 Peter. That no longer should live the rest of the life or the rest of his time in the flesh and the lust of men, but for the will of God. So there's a contrast already between the will of unbelievers and the will of God. And for believers, even if we do suffer, and we will suffer because of Christ, and different aspects of that or different parts of that suffering, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, um, it is to do the will of God. It draws us to do the will of God and away from sin. And for we have spent enough of our past in doing the will of the Gentiles, the will of the pagans, the will of unbelievers. And what Simon Peter does here in his letter to the church, um, he's addressing people who have come out of a Greco-Roman world and a lifestyle of such evil behavior, of such character faults. And he lists six of them. And this is what they came out of in verse 3. Um, and lewdness, and lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. So he says here, first of all, in lewdness, these 
these character traits that are just false. They're evil. And that lewdness is describing excessive indulgence in immorality. And I know that we have an audience that may be younger than 13. And when I'm using the word immorality, I'm also I'm referring to that three-letter word that would go in front of that. Um, so it's excessive indulgence in immorality that a person has no shame, no restraints. But also, they have these other vices, lust. It's someone whose desires control their behavior. And then it moves on to this third vice of drunkenness, that's self-explanatory. And then the fourth one is revelries. It's where you mix drinking parties with immorality, and you have revelries. And then it moves on to drinking parties. You just become out of control, getting drunk and getting out of control. And then the last vice that Peter mentions is abom abominable idolatry. Mouthful to say there. And it's in the plural and lets us know that there's a lot going on here with immoral living, along with idol worship, with demonic forces behind it. So these are evil acts that these believers came out of at the Greco-Roman world. And Peter is saying, you spent enough time of your past in that, in doing the will of the unbelievers, now you're involved in doing the will of God. And believers' conduct are looked upon as strange. Why would you actually want to go against the moral fabric of society and go against and do something very different? Because we're the light of the world. And as the light of the world, the light the light is put on top of a hill and he gives light to everyone or is put on a lampstand and he gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and be stepped upon by men. So as believers... If we get so engrossed with the world, we become more like the world in our actions and our attitudes that we're no longer stinging and no longer preserving and our light gets very dim. And so are you strange? You ought to be strange as believers because of what we looked at in chapter 2 that as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. It is the word that changes our mindset, that changes our actions. So as believers, are we strange? You better believe we're strange. We're living under a different kingdom. We're living under a different God. We're living under Almighty God. And so believers, we ought to have a militant attitude towards sin. And suffering will refine us. It will purify us and allow that suffering to take place. But also a believer's conduct are looked upon as strange. Look with me in verse 4 as we looked at believers' actions convict. The reason why they convict is because the light of the world um, resides within us. It says in verse 4, in regard to these, referring back to verse 3 of those vices, 
They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Um, your actions convict. Silence could be, very well be a weapon of righteousness. There are those times when we need to speak forth the word of truth. And there are those times of our very silent actions of non-participation in sin implies condemnation. And the scripture says here that Peter's writing about all these vices that I've listed in verse 3 now in regard to these, that these unbelievers, they think it's strange that you don't want to just jump into a raging torrent of unrestrained self-gratification. As you look at the word dissipation, it means giving in to self-gratification, self-pleasure, and eventually to harm yourself. So thinking through this, I know Peter probably heard this multiple times, more than probably just in one occasion. But the time that the scribe asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why people can't love their neighbor because they never learned to, that God loves them, them and that they can love themselves in order to love others. If a person doesn't love themselves, they're not going to love others because hurt people hurt others. So in this dissipation, this flood, this torrent of giving in to unrestrained self-gratification that's driving a person, drowning them in the sin in which they're living in. And then the unbelievers look and go, you're strange. Why don't you do what we normally do? Why aren't you involved in this moral fabric? Everybody else is doing it. And we silence them with conviction because we don't participate in that type of immoral, ungodly behavior whatever that may be. And so they're puzzled. They're convicted. They're looking on us as strange. And then they become outraged to the point in verse 4 it says, speaking evil of you, that they have gone from being puzzled to being outraged. Our actions do convict because the light of the world resides within me and as a follower of Christ resides within you. He wants to work in you and then work through you. And his light permeates, his salt stings. And he goes on to say in verse 5, they will give an account in this temporary persecution, this temporary suffering that you're going through. It's only temporary compared to the length of eternity. He said, but they will give an account, but everyone will give an account. I like to quote Vaudi Bauckham, and since he said it, it gives me the privilege to be able to say it. Everyone, but everybody, is going to give an account to God. Now, for believers, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ has already paid the penalty for our sin. He has become our substitutionary sacrifice. He has taken on our sin. We're no longer condemned in sin because we have accepted his sacrifice 
is our payment of sin, turning away from sin, which is called repentance, and placing our faith in a risen, resurrected Savior. And so we don't stand before him condemned, we stand before him righteous. And so we'll stand before him the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our life that he has done in us, but also through us. So our works will be judged. And then for those who are unbelievers, they'll stand before the great white throne. And as there, they'll be raised in death. And those who are dead will stand before him. It says over here in Revelation, and it says here, and there was a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth from heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and, and which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, and all were in it, and death and Hades delivered over to the dead, and were in them, and they were judged. And they were thrown into, and death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. You see that as I butchered that verse up. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. So everyone's going to give an account to God. For believers, the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards that our works will be judged. What we allow Christ to do in us and through us. And also as unbelievers at the great white throne. I'd like to encourage you at this time that you look back. Many of you have had to slow down. What is God saying to you? What is he speaking to you through his word in this time to draw you closer to him? If you are not as close to him as you are now, what was keeping you from being close? There had to be some type of sin that you were involved in that was drawing you away from God. It's the time to repent as believers. It's time to look back and see what's drawn us away from the corporate meeting together as a body of believers. Now we can't, but when we can, will you have that same driving force to want to be with God, God's people, not only corporately, but live out those biblical truths privately? Allow this opportunity as believers to do a spiritual checkup based on the word of God not based on a comparison to other people but to what God's word says we are strange we're to have a militant attitude towards sin as believers we're to conduct believers conduct or looked upon as strange and believers actions do convict 